Good morning and welcome to the weekend. This is Money Talk Extra on Radio 3, your weekly look at personal finance. I'm Peter Lewis. It's coming up to holiday season and you might be preparing to go on a family holiday. To help you get the most out of it, I'm going to explore some ways in which you can save on holiday expenses. Jimmy Lamb is going to tackle the difficult topic of drugs and discover some of the ways it has impacted the life of a Money Talk Extra listener. And in our investment segment, I'll ask how we can try and spot bubbles in the financial markets and avoid the potentially high costs from when they burst. As always, I'd like to hear from you. If you have a question or maybe would like one of our experts to help with your personal financial situation, then please email moneytalk at rthk.hk. If you want to listen to this program again or find out more about some of the topics discussed, then please take a look at our Facebook page, Money Talk Extra, on RTHK Radio 3. It's the time of year when many people are planning or preparing to go on an overseas holiday for the summer. Holiday prices are inflated, so saving money on an overseas trip is even more important. Here now to give some smart tips on how to make the most of your travel budget is David Kneebone, General Manager of the Investor Education Centre. Good morning, David. Good morning, Peter. Let's start with one of the biggest costs in a travel budget, airfares. How do I save money on my plane ticket? Well, hopefully if you are planning to travel now, you made the plan some time ago. So because, of course, at this point in school holiday season, airfares are quite expensive as they are around Chinese New Year, Christmas and other key holiday moments in the Hong Kong calendar. So the key thing is really to plan ahead. There's some magnificent deals. There's some magnificent Facebook groups as well that we've heard of. Now, that uh, sometimes are available amongst friends, others associated with different travel agencies that do have wonderful deals. Some other quick tips around air travel. I'd suggest if you can, don't try and travel on a weekend, especially a Friday night. Flights yeah. go up, travel on a weekday, come back on a weekday if your holiday schedule will allow you to do that. Um, but the key thing is go forward, plan ahead. And what about travelling light? I've noticed that airlines these days seem to be charging more and more for almost everything, including luggage that's over the limit. So presumably it's important to try and keep it down. Very good point, especially if you're going on a low-cost airline. Uh, you will be charged extra for different bags, um, even on and some major airlines as well. Of course, once you go over the limit, and the charges are extraordinary. I myself got done just last week <laughs> for only being one or two kilos over on a flight back from um, the South Pacific. But uh, if you can get, if you can go on with just hand luggage, particularly if it's a short haul flight, do so. You're more likely to ch- um, basically save money. Now, hotels is another big cost. How do I save on my holiday accommodation? Well, don't just check out hotels. Do check out the many other options. Certainly many of the people I talked to and considering this segment had benefited from different online house letting websites uh, where they, and one person said to me recently in Paris, they had got uh, a two-bedroom apartment for the same price as their friends had for a 15-square-metre apartment. Now, Paris is one of those cities that's really expensive. Hong Kong's not dissimilar. But um, do look at the various options that you've got and see if they're, if they're right for you and your family. Now, these days, we live in the gig economy, the sharing economy. Is it worth considering maybe a, a holiday swap? If I, if I live somewhere that's maybe quite attractive in Hong Kong, swapping with someone else overseas and see if we can save money that way. Personally, I think that's a brilliant option because you can usually swap for free. <laughs> um, getting the right conditions, of course, is key. Um, mm. If you want a car 
Uh, make sure you've got a car to trade if that's what that person wants as well. Um, there, are, there are some interesting stories around house swappings. It, it doesn't always work, but I think it's well worth exploring. From a purely financial perspective, it's a great opportunity. Now, travel insurance, there's a confusingly wide range of policies, aren't there, with all sorts of different terms and different prices. How do you navigate your way through this and get a good deal? Well, the first thing to do is shop around um, and don't just take the first deal offered and don't just take the deal potentially that your credit card company or your bank is sponsoring. Do look closely at the terms and conditions and make sure that your policy covers trip cancellation due to events such as death, serious illness, family members' travel evacuation, theft and loss of personal items. There's some really key things that you need to check and not all policies do cover that. It's often you'll find that terrorism is excluded or natural disasters are excluded, which can be quite a hassle, as you could imagine. But do look at the policy very, very closely and as you should do with the purchase of any financial product or service. But travel insurance policies can be quite variable. So check carefully on the essential things. Yes. Are there age limits on some policies as well that you should be aware of? Um, there are age limits. Um, uh, yes, particularly when you're travelling with elders, I'm afraid. Um, and in some cases we've heard with very young children. So, again, be aware and make sure that the policy you've got suits your family group or yourself, depending on the um, variables that you've got that affect you. Now, one of the biggest shocks I often find when I get home from an overseas trip is my mobile phone bill and just how expensive it is to use a mobile phone abroad. How do I make savings there? Two options. One, um, pick up a Wi-Fi rental service maybe here in Hong Kong before you leave. Um, two, buy a local SIM card when you get to the destination and put it in your phone. Now, what's worth doing is look at traveller forums and see what they recommend for the destination you're going to. What's best not to do is just assume that all will be okay because sometimes you can be hit, as you noted, with some rather high data roaming charges amongst other things, leave alone the call charges. So it's worth just giving your provider a call. It's worth also um, looking at traveller forums and blogs and just getting some tips about the destination you're going to. Mm. Now, I've arrived in my destination. I mm. want to get around transportation costs. That can be another expense, can't it? How do I save on that when I'm in a foreign country? Um, well, research. I mean, you've got this. We're, we're so lucky here in Hong Kong and that we've got this magnificent airport express service that brings us all into the city but for a reasonably low cost compared to a taxi. Not all destinations have that, of course. But look at what's available. Um, really, do you need to get a taxi? to the hotel you're staying at. Could you get the airport bus? Dramatic difference in cost. Mm. <laughs> of course, you may prefer a rental car. It may be right for you. And if you've got four or five people, that could be a wonderful option. Again, what you need to do is with any... Um, of the, the conversations we've had is do your homework. And what about if I want to rent a car? That can be quite expensive, can't it, in a, in mm -hmm. a foreign country, but there are ways in which you can try and save some money on that as well. Okay, there's some very innovative ways, particularly in places like France, in terms of <laughs> car purchase to rental and, and various other things. So, um, I, th I think again, unfortunately, we we probably don't have time to go through the, the all the different variables, but it's worth checking out 
some of the differences. Don't assume that, for example, if you did one thing in the United States, it will still apply to Canada. And don't assume that um, the laws in Singapore are the same as in Malaysia. They are not. The costs are incredibly different. The insurance demands are very, very different if you rent a car. And the... as I, as I keep saying, there's, there's many, many variables. So it's worth doing your homework and worth researching. And finally, foreign currency. That can be a big hidden cost, can't mm, it? Mm, the cost mm. of buying and selling currency, particularly if you do it in an airport. It is important to go to a reputable organisation. I personally like to change money with my bank here in Hong Kong before I travel, if I can. And I don't do it a lot. I'm more used to personally using... Um, my own ATM card with, again, a reputable provider in the country I'm going to. Now, I'm afraid that I'm going back to the the same point I've made a few times, which is doing your homework first and making sure that you're not... um, or that that provider is available to you once you get to a a destination. If you take a place like Bali, for example, somewhere where so many Hong Kongers have gone for holidays, and Thailand, there are many, many, many uh, foreign currency operators that exist in primary holiday spots. Um, Not all are good. Not all have great rates. um, And many of the advertised rates have many hidden costs associated with them. So do your homework. Figure out where the best options may be. And it's not necessarily always with a major bank. Thanks, David. You're very welcome. That's David Kneebone, who's General Manager of the Hong Kong Investor Education Centre. And here's one extra tip from me to save money on holiday. Talk to the locals. Not only is it fun and you'll meet new people and learn a lot about the place you're staying in, but they will often be a great source of knowledge for places to eat and stay and will have some good money-saving ideas. According to the Hong Kong Census and Statistics Department, the number of reported new drug abusers in Hong Kong is rising. Frontline agencies tackling the problem suggest that the extent of Hong Kong's drug problem is higher than the official numbers suggest. Drug use can completely take over the life of the person concerned and cause problems for them and their families and society as a whole. Jimmy Lam went to speak with Lillian Yeh, General Secretary of Operation Dawn, an organisation which helps drug users reintegrate into society. He then met with Money Talk Extra listener Roshan, who has just completed a one-year rehab programme provided by the Society for the Aid and Rehabilitation of Drug Abusers. Morning, Lillian. What are the most common ways for people to get into drugs in the first place? I think most of the people get into drugs is through their friends, and this is the most common way. Um, they go to karaoke or to go to the parties at different people's houses, and that's how they first get in, in, in touch with drugs. And once they get addicted to drugs, what changes do you see in their lives usually? Well, uh, when people get into drugs, uh, that doesn't mean the next day they turn into a, a, a devil. Um, this is take, takes a long time because in the beginning they might take drugs once a week and gradually become twice a week and maybe three times a week, and gradually become every day. And in the beginning, maybe the first, uh, in the beginning, um, the first day, they might get uh, into, uh, they might uh, take only um, uh, maybe uh, very little drugs, and that doesn't change their appearance or and the job situation, or if they go to school, it won't affect them. 
uh, so much in the beginning. It's a, a gradually process to uh, for them to turn into a, a full-time drug addicts. So it takes a long time. But some of them, once they get into the habit, in the beginning, every drug addict, they think uh, they just want to have fun and play with it. They know, they think they can control uh, the habit. But after they get um, to use it daily, then they found out they cannot have it without a day or even without a couple hours. And that's how that, that will affect their appearance, affect their jobs, and also affect their financial situation. For example, one half ounce of ketamine right now is selling twelve to $1,500. And some of the drug addicts, they need at least several times of this a day. And now we've got our listener, Russian. Uh, morning, Russian. Good morning. Um, how did you uh, get into drugs in the first place? In the first place, uh, I was like curious because of my friend. He always used to ask money from me, and just like I used to tell him like, "Why you need so much money?" And uh, one day, then he asked me to try some heroin. And that's how I got into drugs. Yeah. And uh, how did it impact your financial situation? At first, I was uh, working good. Uh, I'm earning money. Like I was also saving some. And but suddenly, after I got addicted to the drugs, then everything changed. Um, so how much portion um, of your monthly income did you spend on uh, buying drugs? Uh, before, yeah, when I used to work uh, in the bar, like I used to earn 16 or 17,000 per month, including the tips. And even that money for whole month is not enough for me at the time because I used to spend all the money in the drugs and... I used to borrow with my friends, my family, and I used to just I used to tell them like I will I'm working and I need some money, and maybe next month I'm gonna pay you, and yeah, I used to ask a lot and I used to spend a lot on drugs. And uh, lastly, um, what are your priorities financially? Uh, the firstly, drug-free life is the most important thing for me. Uh, because if I'm drug free, then financially I'm healthy, I'm strong, and I'm good. So now, I'm, now I'm working in Sarda, so uh, so I have a stable income, and I'm helping others as well. Uh, so the job is like uh, meaningful to me. I'm hel- helping some Nepalese people uh, who is trying to be uh, drug free. I'm happy for my current job. Like no matter what, uh, I don't have any plan for the future. So maybe I'll be open-minded in the future. You heard there from Lillian Ye of Operation Dawn, and also Money Talk Extra listener Roshan talking about the impact drug use has had on his life and his finances. 
All he longs for now is a stable income with a drug-free life. So for people who have not quit drugs completely, how can they get their life back on track in terms of their personal financial situation? Jimmy spoke to Horace Fung, social worker for the Society for the Aid and Rehabilitation of Drug Abusers. Many people, maybe the drug user, they experience a lot of money problem. They experience a lot of financial difficulties because uh, they would spend as much as they have on drugs usually. Um, of course, to be honest, we cannot provide any subsidies for them to take drugs, but they can join uh, the residential treatment in our Sada Rehabilitation Center because we had four treatment centers uh, for both male and females, uh, which is free of charge for the Hong Kong ID holder. For if they are, if they have the Hong Kong ID, they can enjoy our service, our residential service, free of charge. Um, but if they are not allowed, or if they are not convenient to join our residential treatment service, and we will also encourage them to join our outpatient methadone clinic service. Uh, because for the Hong Kong people, the Hong Kong ID holder, they can just pay one dollar for methadone every day, or they can be it can be free of charge in if they have if they are on CSSA or on social welfare department assistance. So, uh, so I that's for the people that come to you. But what about for those people um, that you don't know? Will you have some outreaching services? Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it. Uh, it's not. It's not easy for them to take initiative to approach us. So uh, we have some outreaching teams, uh, especially in July. We we had a new outreaching team sponsored by the Big Drugs Fund. Uh, we will go to some uh, hotspots for the Nepalese for the or for the EM people. They usually gather like Yamate, Jordan, Yunnan, and etc. Uh, our staff, uh, the leader and some peer counselor, they, they are, uh, ethnic minorities. They will approach the drug user, the Nepalese drug user or EM drug user, uh, to encourage them to make use of our service. Um, we will have some financial management with our case through the individual counseling. Um, on the one hand, if they if they have some job, legal job, maybe because some uh, they are young and for especially for the Nepalese, they are very young and still productive. Uh, we will encourage them to take part of some job like uh, construction, um, security guard, and etc. And we will, after they got the salary, we will encourage them to have some saving. Yeah, and at least. To prepare for some some uh, certain situation, and on the other hand, uh, I have one uh, some case. They they think that they are not confident. They are not so confident to keep money by themselves. But it's good they can uh, share parts of most of their money. They can save most of the money in their family, and they just keep maybe some basic living expenditure for them. Uh, and if they have any problem, they will ask their family to get back some money. It's good because uh, they want to share some burden of the family and maybe also as a signal that uh, I want to contribute my effort to the family. 
Right. So, uh, Horace, if people want to get in touch um, to your organization for help, um, how can they do so? Yeah, I'm very happy that you want to approach us uh, because we serve Hong, we, Hong Kong society for over 56 years. And uh, you can go to our website. Our website is www.sarda.org.hk. Sarda.org.hk. That's Horace Fong from the Society for the Aid and Rehabilitation of Drug Abusers. If you listen to analysts on financial TV and radio shows, more and more commentators seem to be warning of bubbles in the prices of various assets. Only recently, Bank of America Merrill Lynch warned of a big market top in US stocks in the autumn and a humpty-dumpty fall. They cite as warning signs of frothy markets, the issuance of a 100-year bond by Argentina and Facebook's market cap exceeding the market cap of the MSCI India. There has also been talk of bubbles in art, in car loans and in Bitcoin. Some analysts have warned that we are at the end of a multi-decade bull run in bonds and to be prepared for some devastating losses as interest rates start to rise around the world. And then, of course, there is property in cities such as Hong Kong, Vancouver and Sydney, boosted by floods of money from the mainland. So how do we recognise a market bubble? And what should we do to protect ourselves from the consequences of the bubble bursting? Joining me now is Derek Mock, Vice President of the Hong Kong Society of Financial Analysts and Chief Investment Officer at Convoy Asset Management. Morning, Derek. Good morning. Could you give me some examples of market bubbles from the past? Because there have been some quite historic ones, haven't there? Yeah, that's right. Uh, in the past, like in the 16th century or even in the 17th centuries, in the older ones, we do have some kind of these bubbles, like the Dodge Tulip bubble or the South Sea bubble in the past. And more recently, well, I mean recently, is still on the 19th century, like the uh, real estate bubble in, in, in Japan. And even more, the recent one is regarding the dot-com bubble. I, I think you still remember it. I in, remember in it the, well. Yeah. <laughs> in the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s. That's right. And following up is, is also the US uh, housing market bubble as well. And we had one recently, didn't we, closer to home, the Shanghai stock market in 2015. Could yeah. you remind us what happened there? Yeah, that's right. Uh, regarding all the bubbles that have been talked about, I can generally categorize them into two types. One is the bubble is uh, popping up is because of some kind of the innovation in the market. And another kind of the, another category of these bubbles are coming because of the change of the monetary policy because of the central banks. And for the, uh, for the China one that you have been just mentioned in 2015, it could be because of the, some kind of the, uh, of the policies in China. You remember that in the, uh, in, at the end of 2014, people are worrying about the slowdown of the, of the, of the, of the Chinese economy. And following up to is regarding the, lo the losing of the monetary policy of the PBOC, that is the central bank in China. And at the end of the 2014, the central bank in China, they slashed the, the borrowing rate as well as the deposit rate and do it again uh, in the, at, the, at the beginning of 2015. As a result, people are, are, are speculating that the central bank, the Chinese government, will do all the, this kind of the support to the economy. As a result of the losing of the monetary policy, people the money rushing into the uh, stock market. Do bubbles tend to build up in phases? Is there a clear pattern that we see time and time again? Uh, yeah, in generally, I can I can say that there could be five steps for a bubble. Well, uh, I think everyone in the market is very reasonable, sensitive, and clever. But still, there are so so many bubbles happen in the past. 
Well, actually, in the first phase of the bubble, we can call it a displacement. A, a displacement occurs is when the investor gets some kind of the new paradigm or some kind of the new innovation of uh, of technology. And like the one in 2000, mm-hmm. in the year of 2000, we have the new technology or some changes of the uh, interest rate when compared with the past. Where people were saying the internet is going to change everything yeah, forever. that's right, that's right. And uh, and also the, the second phase is the boom. That is the price starting to go up, but it is more slowly. And some of the smart money or some of the people con- uh, will, will enter into the market with this kind of the new development new or new in- innovation. And the third thing is, is we can call it uh, euphor- euphoria. That is during that that's, uh, this place, some caution has been thrown in. But the asset price got uh, skyrocketed, and more and more people have been coming. We can call it the greater full theory. <laughs> okay, and and we'll come to the fourth place, the fourth stage. That is the profit profit taking, and some of the smart money. Or some of the people uh, began to realize that it, is, it cannot be continued forever. This is the uh, beginning of the end, really, of the bubble phase. That's right, and I think you can you can know about the five, the, the fifth place is is because the panic. The panic, yeah, that's right. Are there typical warning signs that maybe price rises are entering bubble territory? Well, if you ask me this question, I would say that when well, for every and almost for every bubble, you will hear the the, the, the term. This time is different. When you hear this, this, this sentence, I think that we are already in a bubble. And are there markets now that worry you and you think may be in bubble territory here today? Uh, well, it's a very difficult question and, and I can't, I don't, I, I don't know how to answer you. But, uh, using the, 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 the logic or the theory that I have mentioned about when there's a, as, as a class, when everyone is talking about this time is different or people try to, uh, not, to or t- try to suspend their traditional valuation methodology and use uh, some kind of the innovation one. It is a very good signal that uh, we are already entering into a, a, a market or it is t- too crowded. So two, two markets that people have been talking about right now yeah. are US stocks yeah. and Hong Kong property. In fact, not yeah. just Hong Kong property, but maybe, other maybe, especially the for the Hong Kong property market that you have, you have been mentioned. We know that in terms of the affordability, it's very difficult for the people in in Hong Kong to to own a own, own a flat, and the other market you mentioned is uh, the U.S. market where they, valuations have been suspended, yeah, and very are- crowded, and some people as you have we have mentioned that the market cap of a single stock could be larger than a a a, a country. Market, yeah. country. How much typically can markets crash when a bubble bursts? That, that's not a general rule, but at least I, I in, uh, from my point of view, if a market crash, at least thirty to fifty percent of in terms of the of of the index could be come down if some kind of the major major crash. And how can investors avoid being caught up in a market crash? Well, I think the very the general rule is you have to use the traditional or the very reasonable way to to value some of the, your investment, and of course. Uh, we, we we can we can we can never we can never pick a top. So when whenever you get you feel that you're not comfortable, you can try to cash in some of your investment and to to have some some surplus cash, and it won't affect your own living. Thank you very much, Derek. Welcome. That's Derek Mock, Vice President of the Hong Kong Society of Financial Analysts and Chief Investment Officer at Convoy Asset Management. Next week on the program, wedding bells are ringing. We'll look at the financial considerations of getting married and some key financial questions that you should be able to answer about each other before taking the plunge. In the meantime, have a great week. (laughs) 